0: You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk on the Revelations Radio Network. Will the Antichrist be an Assyrian? A new but increasingly popular view is that the Antichrist will be an Assyrian. This conclusion is arrived at by a few passages in Isaiah, primarily Isaiah 10, and one passage in the book of Micah. I want to look closely at these passages, as well as what the proponents of this view say about them, to show you why I think this view is artificially contrived. As in the case for the Roman Antichrist, even though I don't agree that the Bible makes this claim specifically, I don't necessarily have a problem with this idea theologically. I don't think the Bible is specific as to which ten-leader nation or coalition of nations the Antichrist comes from, and whether the Antichrist comes from Assyria or is ethnically Assyrian makes little difference to the thesis of this book. The people making this claim, however, are using this to support the idea that the Antichrist will be committed to the religion of Islam, something that I don't agree with. And even if the verses we are about to study were referring to an Assyrian Antichrist, which I strongly believe they are not, it still would not prove that the Antichrist was a religious Muslim. With regard to the Islamic Antichrist view, I will be quoting extensively from Joel Richardson, who I believe is the most intelligent and articulate advocate for this view. I respect Mr. Richardson greatly, both as a fellow brother in Christ and as a researcher, and I hope my referencing his work on this will be seen as a kind of compliment to him, because I consider his writings on the theory to be the best. Isaiah Let's first look at the passages which are used to support the Assyrian Antichrist view from the book of Isaiah. The context of the book of Isaiah is extremely important for our discussion, so I will spend a few moments describing the issues that the prophet was dealing with and writing about in his day. Isaiah wrote during a time when Israel was being threatened with destruction from the Assyrian king Sennacherib. Isaiah warns that this king, who he occasionally refers to as the Assyrian, will capture and carry off the ten northern tribes, in addition to many cities in the southern kingdom, but that the city of Jerusalem would not fall, and that God would come to their aid. All of this happens in the book. Sennacherib does indeed conquer the northern kingdom, as well as many cities in the southern kingdom. He even sets up a siege of the city of Jerusalem, but, as promised, God protects the city by sending an angel who destroys 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers who were surrounding the city and caused the rest of the army to flee, never to threaten Israel again. In addition to this judgment of Sennacherib, Isaiah also tells us later that Sennacherib himself was killed by his own sons. The Assyrian Empire went into sharp decline shortly after this point and was eventually conquered by Neo-Babylon. The rest of Isaiah is focused on warning Judah that although they were spared from the Assyrians, they would be captured by the empire that came after it, the Babylonians. More than any other book, the book of Isaiah is peppered with prophecies concerning the Messiah and the millennial reign. This is probably because Isaiah was giving the northern and southern kingdoms terrible news that God had decreed that they both were going to be conquered, though at different times. And so the Lord made sure to include several references to the ultimate victory of the Jewish people in the kingdom of the Messiah. This pattern is seen all throughout scripture. Often the most glorious prophecies of Israel's future glory are given to Israel at a time when things look the most hopeless, and they need the most encouragement. God wants them to know that though things look bad now, they will all work out in the end. Since the book of Isaiah has prophecies of the near future interwoven with prophecies of the distant future, or end times, there is a lot of speculation as to which prophecies are which. Do the prophecies of the Assyrian have a near or distant fulfillment, or, as is so often the case in scripture, is it a combination of both? While I agree totally in the concept of types of the Antichrist in scripture, and even that Sennacherib is one of those types... I think that when we look closely at the claims of the Assyrian Antichrist proponents, it will be clear that the prophecies of the Assyrian in Isaiah were never intended to give the reader any information about the nationality, let alone the religion of the Antichrist. Joel Richardson, in his book, Mid-East Beast, repeatedly tells his readers that the book of Isaiah says that the Messiah will defeat the Assyrian. God's promise was that a military leader would be born from the line of David who would deliver all of God's people from the Assyrian. The problem, however, is that this never occurred in history. Another quote says, This passage declares that the Messiah will deliver Israel from the Assyrian. And another quote, So despite the numerous references throughout Isaiah to the Messiah destroying the king of Assyria in the land of Israel, historically this deliverance never occurred. You can see that his argument is that he believes that there are prophecies that say the Messiah will defeat the Assyrian. And since this obviously never happened, these passages must be a reference to the end times. If there were such prophecies in Isaiah, stating that the Messiah would defeat the Assyrian, I would have to agree with Richardson that there must be an Assyrian component to the Antichrist. But as we will see, there isn't a single scripture in all of Isaiah which says that the Messiah will defeat the Assyrian, and that Richardson and others come to this conclusion in an extremely roundabout way. The first thing he does to try to explain what he means by saying that the Messiah is said to destroy the Assyrian is point to Isaiah seven fourteen through 20 which he uses to establish that there is a dual prophecy in certain sections of Isaiah that deal with the Assyrian. Isaiah seven fourteen 14-20 starts out with a familiar passage to Christians, which is partially a prophecy of Jesus' birth. But as Richardson correctly points out, its original context is also a prophecy of a child in Isaiah's day, which was to be a sign that the Assyrians were going to destroy much of Israel. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings." the Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they will come, and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and on the thorns and in all the pastures. In the same day, the Lord will shave with a hired razor, with those from beyond the river, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. The idea that this prophecy, in addition to being about the birth of Jesus, is also about a child as a sign of Israel's impending destruction, is more clearly described in the next chapter. Isaiah 8 verse 4 says, For before the child knows how to cry out, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Richardson wants to apply all of this prophecy to the Messiah, not just the virgin birth idea in 714, in order to have a basis for saying that the Messiah will have some application to the Assyrian. There are a number of problems with this. The first is that even if we allowed that every word of this prophecy was to be applied to Jesus in the end times, it's still not saying anything about the child defeating the Assyrian. In fact, it's quite clearly saying that the Assyrian Empire will be victorious in conquering the northern tribes. The child in this prophecy is doing nothing but acting as a sign that the destruction of Israel is upon them. There isn't a single aspect of this prophecy that gives the reader the idea that the child is to defeat the Assyrians. Yet Richardson says of this passage, quote, The fuller context is the coming of the Messiah to break the Assyrian." How can a prophecy that a child will be a sign of the destruction of Israel by the Assyrians be evidence that the child will destroy the Assyrians? The point of this message is that the Assyrian armies are a judgment from God and that they will be victorious, not defeated. The second problem with this idea is that the destruction of the northern tribes of Israel was to occur before this child was able to talk, Isaiah 8.4. Obviously, there is a danger in applying too much of this prophecy to Jesus, because there is nothing even remotely close to a fulfillment of this in the days after Jesus' birth. There was no attack from the long-dead Assyrian Empire on the northern tribes before Jesus was able to talk. Such a preposterous notion forces us to recognize what scholars have long known, that the prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah 7.14, like so many other prophecies of the Messiah that have an original context, have a limit as to how much of that context you can apply to Jesus. For example, in Matthew two fourteen through 15 it tells us that when Joseph and Mary and the infant Jesus came back to Israel from Egypt, where they had fled to escape Herod, it was a fulfillment of Hosea eleven one, which says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Here, the original context is speaking about Israel, but Matthew tells us it is also a picture of Jesus. But we know to stop short at that verse, and not apply the rest of Hosea 11 to Jesus, because the next verse starts out, As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals, and burned incense to carved images. So, unless you're willing to say that Jesus sacrificed to Baal, you have to admit that there is a limit to how much of a messianic prophecy, which is found in another context, can be applied to Jesus. To conclude my main point on this, there is no mention of the Messiah defeating the Assyrian in Isaiah 7-8. through 8 no matter which way you look at it. Let's move on to see what other evidence Richardson offers to support this most important claim that the Messiah is said to defeat the Assyrian. Richardson then quotes an obvious messianic prophecy in Isaiah 9. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Richardson says of this prophecy, this passage declares that the Messiah will deliver Israel from the Assyrian in the same manner that Gideon in Judges 8 delivered Israel from the Midianite armies. That's quite a claim. Is this really telling us that Jesus will destroy the Assyrian, as Richardson says? There's obviously no mention of the Assyrian or even Assyria in this passage, so how is Richardson coming to this conclusion? Before I answer that, let's consider this passage in context. As I have pointed out, it was pretty horrible news that Isaiah was told to deliver. He was asked by God to tell Israel that God was mad at them, and that he was going to send the Assyrians to wipe out the northern kingdom. The prophecy we just read tells of a future Israel, in which the Messiah will rule with strength and justice. It says that there will be no more conquering of Israel by its enemies when the Messiah begins his reign, and it is clearly meant to be an encouragement to Israel in light of the fact that God is telling them, through Isaiah, that they are about to be conquered in their immediate context. Richardson is essentially saying that since this prophecy about hope for a future peace comes in close proximity to other chapters warning of Israel's destruction by Assyria, that this is a prophecy of the Messiah defeating Assyria when he comes, despite there being no mentioning of the Messiah defeating Assyria whatsoever. This same method of interpreting scripture is also applied to Isaiah 10 in order to come to the Assyrian Antichrist view. Here is a quote from another author describing how they come up with the idea that the Antichrist will be an Assyrian based on Isaiah 10. But there is a catch. Immediately after the Assyrian invades Israel in Isaiah chapter 10, we are introduced to the Messiah on earth in the next chapter. That is to say, Jesus Christ sets up his everlasting throne in Jerusalem. In other words, this passage also predicts a future event. The Assyrian will once again invade Israel, and then Jesus Christ will come back to earth to defeat the Assyrian and to rule forever. You can see from this quote that the mere proximity of a chapter about the Assyrian to another chapter about the Messianic Kingdom is proof to him that the Messiah will destroy the Assyrian, despite no evidence in the text itself for such a scenario. This is the definition of eisegesis, reading one's own ideas into the text there is simply no mention of the messiah defeating the assyrian in isaiah nine one through seven and there is no evidence that this is the author's intent if we were to apply this method of interpretation to other passages we would have so many contradictory proof texts for the origin of the antichrist in scripture Take, for example, that later on in the book of Isaiah, when Assyria is out of the picture and Babylon is the main threat that God is warning them about, we find similar prophecies of hope in a future messianic kingdom directly after warnings of Judah's destruction by the king of Babylon. Are we to also assume that the Antichrist is a Babylonian? With only minor adjustments, I could make a rock-solid case that the Antichrist must be an Egyptian if I were to accept this as a way to determine doctrine. Warnings of various judgments followed by prophecies of the redemption of Israel, is one of the most common motifs in the prophets. And unless the text gives us a reason to think that we are to apply wholesale the immediate context of the prophet to the prophecy of the millennium that follows it, we shouldn't do it, unless we don't mind the myriad of contradictions that it creates. The final section in Isaiah that Richardson appeals to is Isaiah 10. This is a chapter in which God tells his people that after he is done using Sennacherib to destroy the northern kingdom and humble those in Jerusalem with the devastation that the siege, though ultimately unsuccessful, brought, that he would destroy him as well. Isaiah 10.12 says, Then after the Lord has finished with his redeeming work of chastisement toward his people, he will punish the Assyrian." When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. The book of Isaiah gives us a picture of this judgment of the Assyrian 26 chapters later. In Isaiah thirty-seven, thirty-six through 38 it says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead, So Sennacherib king of Assyria departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nishrach his god, that his son Adramelech and Sharezer struck him down with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Eshradon his son reigned in his place. Proponents of the Assyrian antichrist view will try to make the case that this judgment of Assyria is not complete yet. But from a biblical perspective, there is no doubt that the destroying of the 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and the killing of Sennacherib by his sons, as well as the eventual desolation of the empire, is considered God's judgment against the Assyrian. We know this because Jeremiah tells us that God's judgment of the Assyrian was a past tense event in his day. Jeremiah 50.18 says, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. Richardson makes the case that despite Jeremiah and Ezekiel saying that the judgment of the king of Assyria in Isaiah 10 is complete, it can't be fulfilled because in Isaiah 14, it says, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders. Isaiah fourteen twenty five. He says that since Sennacherib wasn't killed in Israel, but rather back home in Assyria by his sons, there must be a future fulfillment where some other Assyrian man is killed, but this time in Jerusalem. This is answered by a simple study of the grammar of the passage. This is not a reference to the king of Assyria being broken, but rather the burden of the Assyrian yoke, which was forever broken on the day that God killed 185,000 Assyrians, and they left Israel for good. The Net Bible translate the passage this way, I will break Assyria in my land. I will trample them underfoot on my hills. Their yoke will be removed from my people. The burden will be lifted from their shoulders. In the footnotes it explains that the pronouns are collective singular, meaning that it is likely referring to the nation and not the king. The actual Hebrew word, sometimes translated the Assyrian, is simply Asher, which is ambiguous and can mean Assyria or Assyrian. So this is not a reason to deny that God has not fulfilled his judgment on that nation or that king. It should also be noted that the prophecies of Assyria's past tense judgment is spoken of in Ezekiel 31, 3-17, where the very elements that are described in Isaiah 10 are reiterated. The fact is that shortly after this prophecy of the destruction of Assyria was given, its capital, Nineveh, the largest city on earth at the time, became a desolate wasteland, fulfilling precisely what God said he would do to it, and there is no reason to say that he is waiting to do it again. Richardson also says that Isaiah 14 proves that the destruction of Assyria must be in the future, because it says that Assyria's yoke will be removed from Israel when God judges it. He makes the case that since the Babylonians, who came after the Assyrians, controlled Israel as well, that the yoke was never really removed. He is again reading too much into the text. Isaiah 14.25 isn't saying that all yokes that ever have been or ever will be will be removed when he destroys Assyria, only that the Assyrian yoke will be. This seems to be quite clear from the phrase their yoke will be removed from my people, in reference to the Assyrians. So, we have seen that there is absolutely no reference to the Messiah defeating the Assyrian in the book of Isaiah, only references to Assyria being used by God to destroy Israel, and then God destroying Assyria when he is through with them, which he did in glorious fashion. We have also seen that most of the ways people force the idea of the Messiah defeating someone called the Assyrian in the end times is by pointing out that certain Messianic prophecies appear in close proximity to chapters about Assyria. We have also seen that the references to the Assyrian in the book are references to Sennacherib, references which do not require a future double fulfillment. Micah 5.5 Micah 5.5 is the best hope for anyone wanting to have the Antichrist be an Assyrian, in my opinion. But, as I plan to show you, it is a false hope. It is no surprise that Micah mentions the Assyrian as he wrote at the exact time as Isaiah, during the period when Assyria was threatening Israel. Sennacherib was public enemy number one in his day, and this fact is evident all throughout his writings. The passage in question is another prophecy of the millennium, another encouragement to the people of Israel that one day they would not have to deal with being continually conquered, a day when the Messiah would rule Israel with an iron rod. The difference between this passage and the others that we have looked at in Isaiah is that Micah actually mentions the phrase, the Assyrian, within the millennial context. In other words, this phrase, the Assyrian, is not just near a chapter about the Messiah, it's actually in the same chapter and context, and therefore gives us a much better reason to consider whether or not we should be expecting someone known as the Assyrian in an end times context. The passage reads like this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who will be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds, and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria, and the land of Nimrod, and its entrances. Thus he shall deliver from the Assyrian when he comes into our land, and when he treads within our borders. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, that tarry for no man, nor wait for the sons of men and the remnant of jacob shall be among the gentiles in the midst of many people like a lion among the beasts of the forest like a young lion among flocks of sheep who if he passes through both treads down and tears in pieces and none can deliver your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off So, the Assyrian Antichrist proponents would say that the fact that Micah mentioned the Assyrian in the context of the millennium is clearly proof that the Messiah will defeat the Assyrian in the end times, and that the Antichrist is an Assyrian. There are quite a few problems with this interpretation. The first being that it's almost certainly not Micah's intention to be giving us a prophecy of a future attack of an Assyrian in the millennium. But rather he is essentially saying, yes, it's really terrible for us right now being attacked by the Assyrians. But keep in mind that when the Messiah comes, everything will be different. And should the Assyrians try to invade our land at that time, we would totally prevail over them. This is not wishful thinking on my part. The Net Bible translated this passage highlighting Micah's hypothetical intention. It says, He will give us peace. Should the Assyrian try to invade our land and attempt to set foot in our fortresses, we will send against him seven shepherd rulers. Make that eight commanders. They will rule the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn sword. Our king will rescue us from the Assyrians should they attempt to invade our land and try to set foot in our territory. The reason that Micah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the Assyrians as an example of people that wouldn't be able to attack them when the Messiah comes is tied to the reason this message of hope was given to the people in the first place. That is because they were being so terribly destroyed by the Assyrians and it seemed all the promises of God would never come true. It would be like saying to the Jews in Nazi Germany, in the Kingdom Age, if Hitler tries to harm us, we will come at him with a blitzkrieg of our own with the help of the Messiah. Another massive problem for the Assyrian Antichrist proponent using Micah 5.5 is that this is clearly a reference to events within the millennial reign itself, which would preclude this from having anything to do with the Antichrist, who is thrown into the lake of fire never to come out again in Revelation 19.20 and 20.10. The Antichrist's destruction occurs before the millennium even begins, making it impossible for this to be a reference to the Antichrist. By contrast, Satan is thrown into the, quote, bottomless pit at the beginning of the millennium and is let out at the end for one last deception in which he gathers people and nations to march on the beloved city in a very unsuccessful campaign. But after that, he is thrown into the Lake of Fire, the place that the Antichrist has apparently been the whole time. See Revelation 20, 1 through 10, Revelation 19:20. If one absolutely had to make the reference to an Assyrian in Micah 5.5 be a reference to a future event, you would be limited to it being a reference to Satan or one of the people he recruits to march on Jerusalem at the end of the millennium. There is no theological possibility for the Antichrist to be causing problems during the millennium, and therefore there is no possibility that the Assyrian in Micah 5.5 is a reference to the Antichrist. This concludes our study on the references to the Assyrian in Isaiah and Micah. I hope that I have given you some reasons to doubt the recent theory that tells us that scripture teaches that the Antichrist will be an Assyrian. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, And the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.